Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for joining She Leads today. I'm really Hi. happy. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm excited to hear your story. And as a short introduction, so Sherry, you're a Hollywood executive film producer, and you've created t a lot of TV movies, including Halloween Town, for Fortune 500 brands, including Lifetime, Walt Disney TV. And so you have an illustrious career that I'm excited to get to know more of. Um, but before we even go into that, I kind of want to know your background. So how did you get interested in the entertainment industry and kind of your journey to, be, to breaking through into it? Well, my journey started with wanting to be a broadcast journalist, and my degree is in broadcast journalism. I see. And I started out as a news, as a news producer, and gradually um, I, I ended up going from news to producing a national talk show that I had barely heard of at the time, but um, would soon become the cover of Newsweek. This is in the dark ages. <laughs> and... Uh, and from there, what really happened was a lot of the ideas that I produced into shows on the talk show were being bought by um, uh, Los Angeles-based, I lived in Chicago, I'm from Chicago, okay. were being bought by Los Angeles-based producers to make television movies out of. Mm. So I, that planted a seed in my head. And after seven years of producing the talk show and wanting to expand and being young with no kids so that I could make a geographical move, yeah. I, um, Norman Lear, the um, very famous uh, producer out here of All in the Family fame, who is still going strong in his late 90s, wow. uh, hired me. And I moved out here and started developing TV movies. And... The biggest challenge then was I had no idea what Hollywood was. I, I was very cloistered mm. and uh, in in Chicago, in you know, in the news field. Yeah. So so that's very interesting because you started knowing that you you're you were drawn towards the news and broadcasting, and then you were almost introduced to this whole new world in Hollywood. So. First, what were kind of some of the biggest shocks coming into the entertainment industry in Hollywood specifically? And kind of, how did you navigate through that? Was Norman a mentor or like, did you have mentors? And going like that, yeah. Norman was a mentor very early on, but he, he sold the company in the first couple of years I was there. Oh. So I didn't really have a mentor. And the biggest challenge was the shock I had at trying to get people inside of your own company to return your calls. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I come from producing this show, this national show, where I never had to get a call back. People just took the call when mm. it came. And in terms of the people I worked with, it was a very small staff in the beginning, and we were all in the same big bullpen, so we didn't have to call each other. Yeah. And... I didn't know anything about leaving people on hold and calling them back during a lunch hour or after hours so that they couldn't pick up the phone, but they could go on the record as having called you. Yeah. This was all new behavior to me. And it was almost just learning by doing, just on the job. It was learning by doing. Yeah. And luckily, I've, I learned very early on, and it's one of my things when I mentor young women that I tell them all the time, don't pretend what you don't know. 
because smart people who you are around will know that you don't know. Yeah. And they won't be very impressed with you. On the flip side, people generally love helping other people if they need it. So I found that I would be very forthcoming about what I hadn't done before or what I didn't know, and then I would pick it up very quickly because people would tell me. So so something I've learned in class, and we've had guest lectures come either in venture capital or entrepreneurship, and one thing that we've almost learned is this idea of fake it till you make it, which kind of contradicts... I totally did that, though. Yeah, so almost how do you balance faking it till you make it, knowing that, like, okay, I can do this, or, like, I'll learn by doing, versus telling people, no, I need help with this? Well, fake it till you make it is the same thing in a way, because you can't, like, you you can't just know nothing, you know, and have somebody have to walk you from A to Z. But if there's a a, a part, you know, a step in the process that you don't know or you haven't done before, or... Um, for example, the first time I had to go in and pitch, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I didn't realize the only pitching I ever really did before that was going into the host's office of the talk show and, you know, saying ideas I thought were interesting and seeing which ones he wanted to do. But the pitch process in Hollywood is on a whole other level. So I had the ideas, which mm-hmm. really is where everything starts. Here. I had the ideas. It was the format that I didn't know that much about. Mm-hmm. So I would either have to just try it or I might ask somebody, well, if we're going to see this person, what should I know about them or how should I present myself? I mean, you can't ask stupid questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so another reason, so a big reason why I'm doing this show and she leads is all about the female leader and the challenges that females encounter in almost any industry. So I'm interested, I'm not so familiar with the entertainment industry, so I'm interested almost, did you encounter challenges like when you were going to pitch to these people your ideas? Did you almost have to overcompensate because you were a female coming in? Or did or is that is there not such a big discrepancy between females and males in the industry? Or how did you navigate around that? Well, there is, but there was a part of it, I... I think my early career was successful from dumb luck. You know, I I just decided not to think that I couldn't get there because I was a woman. And, you know, my my very first job after college was um, working as a news writer producer in a network um, in ABC Chicago. And I was the youngest person in the union. When I got the job, it was a short-term job, but I was still in the union, and I had no idea that that was the case. And I just, I, I just sort of pushed through. And I think, um, in a way, it disheartens me that you even have to ask this, you know, at this point, because I thought, you know, I went through a couple of decades early, much earlier on when everything was exploding in terms of um, the women's movement. Mm -hmm. And I was obviously at the forefront of it, but I also didn't, I just assumed that I was going to be able to get where I wanted to go. And I didn't have a lot of sexism. Um, You know, I, I dealt with it. 
I guess, is the real answer to that. And I figured out how to deal with it instinctively because of just my own personal makeup. Right. Yeah, and it's almost, I think it's so important what you talked about in terms of having that self-belief and that confidence. Like, if you know that you're just as capable as anyone else, which we are for sure, even more so, then it's like almost having that and then you project it and then it's and then it's perfect. So I think that's really important. It's re- it is. I mean, and that's where that's why you can do the fake it till you make it. Right. Because if you know about yourself that you pick up things really fast. Yeah. And even if someone tells you once you get it, um, then, you know, you, you don't look like the earlier question you asked. Right. So shifting gears a little, I want to learn more about what it, what does it entail to be an executive producer? So what's, what's a typical day or even more, what, what challenges do you face and things that you face as an executive? Well, and I face more now, um, different ones now than I did when I started for sure. Yeah. Uh, An executive producer in television and particularly long form television and television movies is generally the one who finds the idea, either creates it themselves, finds a book, finds a magazine article, finds a play, reads a bunch of true stories and, and compiles them into one, mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the things I particularly like doing, and finds somebody who will pay to have a script written and developed. And then ultimately, if you get the script made, yeah. and, you, and you don't always, by a long shot, you don't always, you then turn to your production hat, and then you have another set of skills it's like a two two part. Yeah. The, so the executive development executive, and then there's the producer. I see. Okay. And then, so I was listening to, I know. So Bob Sutton is a professor of mine, one of my favorite professors at Stanford, and I was actually listening to his Friction podcast, which you were a guest. And one thing you mentioned that I wanted to talk to you a little bit more is, it's so one thing you said is it's really easy for these executive producers and directors, whoever it is to fall under this trap where you, you typically hire the same people cause you can rely on them and you know, you work well with them and cause there's a big time crunch. There's a lot of involved. So I'm interested. How do you, how do you find yourself not so easily falling under that trap and still giving, giving others an opportunity to come in, but also increasing that, making sure that it's diverse group, a part of it. That's, good. That's a good question. And the way that I do it, and I do it all the time, but I try to have some key person in the, you know, on the crew mm-hmm. or, you know, about uh, in the, in the core group of people that have to put the movie on that I have worked with before. Okay. So like I wouldn't suddenly, and, and occasionally it's happened and it's a little hard for me when suddenly you just walk in and they're all unknown, you know, yeah. you don't know anyone. And that's, that can be true for a certain portion of the crew every time I work because you don't get the same people carrying the lights. You don't get necessarily the same people finding the locations. But in terms of writers and directors um, and who I deal with quite a lot in terms of putting things together or physical line producers, yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm good with working with new people, but it, it's a project by project basis. Like sometimes you have, you have something that's very ambitious and has to be done really quickly. 
And so maybe I don't want a new director for that. On the other hand, I wouldn't mind having a new cinematographer that mm -hmm. I hadn't worked with or a new production designer. Um, or, you know, you, you, you have a new director and then you have a real solid, you, you then make sure that you've kept a really good assistant director and a strong cinematographer. There are ways to great. And I do it regularly. Yeah. I have done it throughout my career to, to work with new people, but to have somebody okay. that gives you a level of comfort that you can pull off the job. I see. So it, it is dependent on the project, what you need, where you're like, okay, maybe we can switch out this role, bring in a new person, but we do need yes. that person to stick with it. Okay, yes. very cool. And then, so one thing about that I've learned is t the time component is really important. And if it's like a day later, it could be problematic and things like that. Um, so I'm interested, how is it, as the leader of the production, how is it relying on others to make sure, like, it's almost hard where you can't, it's not only what you're doing, and you're relying a lot on what other other people's talents, skills, and just almost ability to get things done. So how do you manage that? Well, first of all, I'll tell you a small joke in that area. My, mm -hmm. my husband is a retired producer, and he tells me the story um, and he had been a, a film executive and then he went out on his own and he tells me the story that on the first day of principal photography of his first film that he was producing, yeah. he got there really early and he was standing with his, his line producer, his physical producer. And he said like, what if no one comes? <laughs> and there's a, a, and, and, and ever since he told me that every first time I start something, I'm like, Everyone showed up. And so, yeah, they're like, they're, and this is after 35, 40 movies. Yeah. So there is that moment where you say, like, what if no one comes? But on a, on a more practical level, it's you kind of take a flyer, you know, every time you do this. But the industry I'm in, people have a lot of pride in whatever their part is of, you know, in, yeah. in making entertainment product. And so normally it, that doesn't happen. So I mean, yes. it can under certain circumstances, but that isn't the norm. So I think this is a good, uh, it's a good segue in terms of obviously what we're dealing with now with coronavirus. And I think the biggest thing with COVID-19 is there's so much uncertainty and people don't know when they're going to go back to their jobs. They don't know what's happening tomorrow, next week, next month. And it's just a lot of uncertainty. And I think it, there's a lot of parallels with the entertainment industry, with what you've been saying, in the sense you're even hoping that people show up or just whether it's gonna, whether your idea is going to be made, um, whether the, the director likes your latest thing that you produce, whatever it is. I'm wondering, first of all, um, kind of how do you deal with that uncertainty that you think could be useful for people even now dealing with coronavirus? Well, you know, I can tell you the story of what has happened to me just even over the last month to six weeks. Yeah. Uh, I was getting ready to shoot a, a book adaptation of a, of a true crime story from the 90s for Lifetime. And it was shooting in Winnipeg, Canada. Many things shoot in Canada for financial reasons mm -hmm. now. And I was supposed to get on a plane Saturday, March 14th and be gone for six weeks. Yeah. 
And my husband, because he's been retired for a while and is older than I am, travels with me. And it, it's a godsend because A, knows what he's doing because he's produced more things than I have. Yeah. And B, he kind of takes care of me on the set because, you know, you're working 14-hour days and you don't have any time for yourself and you don't want to do the laundry if you have one or two days off. And yeah. so anyway, his doctor wouldn't let it early on because he's got a, a high-risk condition his doctor wouldn't let him travel so number one I'm like oh my god you know how am I gonna how am I gonna do this you know I haven't been apart for that many weeks from him for years yeah and it it sort of colored the whole experience I was gonna have but I needed to do it I was gonna do it I'm a big girl and then as the day I was supposed to leave came closer things started to really Explode. Right. And I didn't want to go. And I couldn't not go until, you know, the, the network or the production company, the Canadian production company, told me not to come. And so I bought myself two extra days. I was supposed to go on Saturday, March 14th. Mm-hmm. And I put it off to Sunday, uh, to Monday the 16th okay. because things were changing hourly yeah. back then. Yeah. And, and they still are, but then they really were. And fortunately, I didn't get on the plane on the morning of the 14th, but I had my confirmed flights and I had my bags open and I had started packing. And um, Winnipeg started closing all of the, the sort of public facilities and um, government offices. And, you know, then you, you can't get film permit. You can't shoot when that happens. So I thought we should have shut down a week ago you know but uh so it happened so now you know there's there there we were only one week into having the director and some of the crew there I hadn't gone yet obviously the the actors hadn't weren't ready to shoot for another three weeks Mm -hmm. so the the flip side of that is I don't know when we're going to make the movie Mm -hmm. or if we're going to make the movie and one of the things that I was thinking about is that this isn't going to be over in a month or six weeks mm-hmm. by a long shot. And that maybe in the fall, you know, people will have some semblance of having gone back to work. But you can't do social, but maybe with social distancing, yeah. you can't do that on a film set. Exactly. So uh, I have, you know, I, we're, all my friends and I are talking about what's the rollout here, what happens, um, and, um, you know, some people are saying that it's not going to be really safe until there's a vaccine, and even with a vaccine, you get the flu, mm-hmm. even if you take a flu vaccine. Right. Um, so there's a, a, a lot of uncertainty, and people are still, I'm still working on scripts that were scheduled to be shot. I had a second movie that was to, to shoot in Australia in May that obviously is not happening right now. Right. And um, I've got, you know, I've got a Christmas movie in development. So I have no idea whether I'll make $1 this year and whether anything will actually, you know, will be able to get made in this climate. Yeah. It's crazy. So going off of that and even going off of your 14 hour days and your husband being there for you, what do you do to take care of yourself? Cause there's all this madness, the stress, anxiety. So what do you do as like a self care technique? 
Well, the biggest one is having someone to help me. And yeah. when he wasn't going to come, I hired an assistant, um, which I, you know, I used to have early on when, when my husband and I were both producing and our kids were small, I'd have an assistant, but I stopped having one because he came. So you, you hire an assistant. Mm -hmm. I sought out last, I, I, I shot in Winnipeg actually last August, a Christmas, uh, I shot a Christmas movie and I found a Pilates studio to, that would do privates with me. And she was very flexible. Normally, you know, you have to give a, a 24 hour cancellation, but sometimes I had to cancel two hours before yeah. and she was, she was okay with that. And it wasn't that far. We had a car and it wasn't that far from where we were living. So I, I managed the Pilates. I also lived walking distance from like a day spa. Hmm. So I managed, I, I, you know, I did my nails, I had my toes done and I paid more than I would at home because it was in a hotel spa, yeah. but it, that's what you do. So that was always really nice. Mm -hmm. And, um, I try now to stay, we generally don't stay in hotels that often because you want to have a kitchen mm -hmm. and because it's frankly cheaper to be in an executive apartment or a condo that people bought exclusively to rent out to senior executives. It's cheaper than staying in a, just a plain hotel room. Yeah. So setting, I, I try to set everything up. Unfortunately, I have to get a new mattress topper and, and my own linens and my own towels. But these are the things that make me comfortable yeah. when I'm away from home and working really long hours. And it's important because you're there for a long time. So it's worth it. Yeah. Like that effort in the beginning translates a long time. No, it sounds kind of trite. Oh, I don't, you know, I want better towels. But I give them to somebody in the production office at the, you know, at the end of my stay each time, somebody scores a whole bunch of nice stuff. Yeah. And I, I got to use it while I was there. Amazing. So as a last few questions, just some fun questions. First, what are you most proud of? What's it? What's a project that you're most proud of? Or not even a project, just anything. Well, that's really interesting. I, I think one of the things I'm the most proud of is that in the mid 90s, I went to Lifetime before Lifetime was really completely on the map mm -hmm. and started the Lifetime original movie. And it started as a monthly movie, and um, I, it's, it has quite a long legacy now, and it's kind of gone some places that I didn't go, and many that I did. And I, because we were the, you know, the, the, major step pair, you know, this little stepchild of the business in the mid nineties, I went to all the established producers that I had a lot of respect for and asked them to bring me their passion projects. Mm -hmm. And I did some things I'm really proud of, um, then. And, um, and also got to help producers get what they wanted made. So I'd, I'd have to say that. Yeah. Um, I would say um, I did a movie, and I'm hoping to do um, some kind of sequel to it and, uh, several years ago called Perfect High, right. and it was teenage heroin use. Yeah. It was heavily researched, and both my daughters work in the drug treatment area, mm -hmm. and they were both consultants. And, a lot, you know, uh, for the Lifetime audience, a lot of people saw it. And we got really, really great feedback on it and, you know, helped a couple of people's careers move mm -hmm. along. Wow, that's incredible. So, I mean, I could think of a bunch more. Yeah. 
right off the top of my head. And I did a lot of Disney Channel movies, and Halloween Town was one of them. Right. And I, I'd have to put that in there because that that, that really um, gave Disney – that was the beginning of Disney's push into – making all the movies and creating a brand for them and really isn't it's 21 years old now and people still watch it yeah it's crazy that's amazing um another two questions is one what is a passion or hobby that you have that's unrelated to your work dogs oh i love dogs it's a great one you, collies Aww. and i'm planning one of them i think is i'm getting a little bit of dementia so I'm I'm planning um, to get another one um, after she goes, and this time do formal training um, to make her into a therapy dog and a more a real emotional support animal that I can take into like children's hospitals. And that sounds amazing. That's incredible. Places. So that's one of them. Dogs are special. And then my last question. First, thank you so much. This has been so great, and I'm. So thrilled that you were on this show and I could get to know you better. But my last question is, what is a fun or weird talent that you have that no one else really knows about? And I'll give you mine. Okay. <laughs> mine is catching grapes or blueberries into my mouth if I throw them. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a demo, okay? So I got a blueberry. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> okay. Well, this is funny. There you go. Oh, my God. I'm impressed. Thank you. That's super cool. <laughs> All right. That, that was better than I expected. So, yeah. Well, the first one I can think of that's related, actually, to what I just told you is that there are two of them that are similar. One is that I know almost every dog breed on the street. Wow. I'm like an idiot savant dog. <laughs> that's There's crazy. a bunch of new breeds that I'm trying to get to know, but... Um, and I can always or almost always figure out the main mix in a, it, when, when I see a, um, you know, a, a, a doggy mix, a mutt. Yeah. The other one is cars. Mm -hmm. I have, I, I guess I think I have a strong visual sense and mm -hmm. I can identify um, at cars like once I've seen them once, no. I know what the car is. It's so stupid. Wow. But. That's awesome. That's and they're unrelated dogs and cars, obviously. <laughs> no, you must have a visual right when you see it. You're yeah. just like it's stuck in me now. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you thank so much. Thank you, and best of luck with your series yes. and your senior year. Yes.